If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, I've got Jerry Green from the Professor Frenzy Show and Bat Books for Beginners with me as we discuss the classic film, The Wolfman from 1941. We'll discuss the cast, the background, the fun quirks about the film, and of course the score by Hans J. Salter. And the show starts now. I am your host, Randy Andrews. Today, I've got a special program with special guest. Hey, it's Professor Frenzy. <laughs> Hi, hey, Jerry. Randy. How's it going, Randy? Good. Excellent. Uh, what was your first exposure to the Wolfman? Uh, well, thanks so much for having <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Randy. This is, this is a great treat to be on here with you talking about one of my favorite movies of all, all time. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. So The Wolfman, it wasn't the first of the horror movies I liked as a kid. I just loved these movies when I was younger. Um, and it, it wasn't even my first werewolf movie. That was um, Werewolf of London. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's with Henry Hull and Werner Oland. And Mm-mm. it actually took me a little bit of time to warm up, warm up to this version, this Lon Chaney version, um, just because it wasn't my first, you know, and. But as time went on, I really appreciated The Wolfman. I really like this movie a lot. I think it's rich. I think the characters are really, really interesting. Um, and it it stands up to, <clears throat> excuse me, it stands up to multiple viewings. And it is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. And particularly the music in this movie. And that's why it's such a treat to talk to you about it. Because the music in all of these universal horror movies is so fantastic. Um, and Dracula and Frankenstein, they don't have scores like this. This is mm-hmm. a, a very nope. special movie. Yeah, in fact, I think the original Frankenstein cut of the score was very low like Mm -hmm. like they didn't have very much music in it at all dracula has the um opening of swan lake uh in the opening credits and you know at the end and that's it there's no music Mm -hmm. in it so this is a universal did eventually spend a lot of money on uh, getting really really well done um, scores to their horror movies, the later ones. And, uh, this is, this is one of the best. Good. 
Yeah, I I think so too. I think it has an excellent score. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, the things about it are very unique for the horror genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, of the especially the Universal monsters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frankenstein. It's its own amazing horror movie in general. Sure. Um, and Dracula is almost. It's almost unhinged, you know. It's it's got a it's got a feeling of of well, like utter horror because yeah. there is no music. Yeah, yeah. And it it wasn't a silent film, was it? Was Dracula um, a silent film? Um, there may have been a silent version, but they took the movie off of a. They started with a stage play uh, okay. that Lugosi was in, and it's mm-hmm. and it's very stagey. You can kind of tell. Uh, but it's really funny that movie when uh, it, it you can as you're watching it, it is very stagey, except for when Lugosi is on the screen. And you said unhinged. He looks like an absolute killer, like a <laughs> vicious monster in this movie. Yeah. And uh, and he's in the Wolfman, too, and plays mm-hmm. another great role. But. Um, you know, that those those early movies were crude. They're almost silent movies, right? They were made in mm-hmm. 31 and it's not too far. Um, you know, they're still figuring the sound out. So mm-hmm. they hadn't figured it out yet. So but by this time, by Wolfman, they had it figured out. Oh, yeah. And you get that even with like the casting of the film. Like, I mean, it's interesting because it's like uh, you've got Bella Lugosi, who. Yep was in dracula and uh he campaigned for the title role mm-hmm. but ended up playing a minor role with being uh one of the um traveling people who yeah, fortune told uh, fortune told people's fortune and everything and then um it was really surprising that boris karloff didn't get the role either yeah. uh because of course you know, everyone thinks of Boris Karloff as that horror superstar yep. uh, that Universal had going for them. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure if I can pronounce this name right, but it's Maria Ospenskaya. I think I pronounce it Ospenskaya, but I don't okay. know if that's right either. <laughs> All right, because she was she was the older woman mm-hmm. in the camp. Mm-hmm. Um and she was only six years older than Bella Lugosi. <laughs> uh, and you couldn't tell it because, no. I mean, she looked a lot older. <laughs> she did. She did. But so, she was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, she just would magically appear whenever the Wolfman <laughs> attacked. It's like, hmm, I wonder how that the happened. The way you walked was thorny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought it was also good that this film marks the first of five appearances that Lon Chaney Jr. appeared as the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. So what are the other Wolfman movies that Lon Chaney was in? <clears throat> well, he was in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Um, just let's see. Uh, he was in uh, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Yep, he was in House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein. I think that's all of them. That's all, okay. all I can think of. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, 
because it just it blew my mind. It was like, man, he had a lot of roles as a woman. He did. Yeah. And uh, his makeup took six hours to apply and three hours to get off. So it took him a lot longer to put on the makeup (laughs) than it did to take it off. It's crazy. I don't think he liked that at all. No, no. I would imagine not because it just it would that would be a grueling process. I I feel for people that have to have all that face makeup applied to them. And then you have Um, to work. Yep. You have to be in a hot studio with hot studio lights beaming down on you. Yeah, that would be warm. That would be (laughs) that would be awfully warm. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that you and I we were talking before the show about Lon Chaney's character that in the movie itself he's not referred to as the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. But in the opening credits and ending credits, he's not referred to as Larry Talbot. Yeah. He's really referred weird. to as the Wolfman. It's so funny. <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> because, you know, maybe people thought that it was a different actor. You know? yeah, I, mean, I don't know. They didn't, they didn't know. So, yeah, uh, it just kind of happens. Yep. Um, they were playing on the Lon Chaney Jr. name, which at now we don't, you know, when we think back, you know, to them, we think of Lon Chaney as this Wolfman uh, guy. Mm-hmm. But his father was much more famous at the time than he ever was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was the king of silent horror movies. And Lon Chaney um, Jr.'s name wasn't really Lon Chaney. It was uh, Crichton Chaney. And um, he really resisted changing his name to kind of play off his father's fame. But he eventually, you know, embraced that and um, and, you know, got out from under the shadow of his father. So now when you talk to somebody and you think you mentioned Lon Chaney, they always think about uh, about the Wolfman. The the Wolfman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. Now, what did you think of Evelyn Anchors? <clears throat> yeah, I, I I really like Evelyn Anchors. She's really good, I think, in this movie. Um, yeah, you know, in these old movies, female characters are usually pretty lame. And, and I think <laughs> there is a lot of problems, you know, when you really step back and look at this movie in modern eyes. And I think there is some problems with it. But mm-hmm. she is so good. And there's a couple of scenes as we get through the, some of this, some of the music. I mean, she is just she's torn because she's got a fiance, but Larry is wooing her. And mm-hmm. there are some scenes where she is just so good. Um, she was in uh, a number of movies with Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, uh, one of them I definitely wanted to, to give a shout out uh, to. It was called The Weird Woman. It was one of the uh, Inner Sanctum movies. Inner Sanctum was a, originally a radio show, and then it became a series of movies um, Lon Chaney was in. And uh, this one in particular, she plays a bad guy. Evelyn mm. plays the the um, antagonist, and she mm-hmm. is so good. Uh, definitely recommend The Weird Woman if you like Evelyn Anchors. Oh, okay. All right. That's, <laughs> that's good to know, because... I found her character to be very believable yeah. because even when Lon Chaney was first coming up to her and he <laughs> he was trying to get her to go out on a date, she kept on saying no. Yep. 
No. <laughs> yeah, no. And she was she was being this, you know, actual, like believable. Yeah. I just met you. I'm yeah. not going to go out on yeah. a date with you. Yeah. Why would I do that? And um like it points out in one scene she had to faint and fall to the misty ground, but the fumes were so strong she passed out. Oh goodness. And wow. she was unnoticed by the director and crew. Because oh, no. they were concentrating on some other a- aspect of the scene. And so she remained there unnoticed until a technician began breaking down the set. Oh, wow. So it doesn't even tell us how long she laid there. Mm. But it's like from the notes that I have, according to the notes that I have, she and Lon Chaney did not get along. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, um, I've heard the same thing. They, they, they were, I mean they would everyone would irritate her and they nicknamed her shankers while playing mm-hmm. juvenile practical jokes mm-hmm. lon cheney would sneak up on her in full makeup and scare her um they didn't have a good relationship outside the film i mean even though in the film they had a great chemistry oh, electric i agree yeah it just it was really pretty amazing yeah um, and, uh, and then, but also she's scared really easily. Oh, okay. Be- uh, well, cause you think about it, there was a scene that was cut that was regarding a 600 pound bear. Oh goodness. And <laughs> it had escaped its trainer and chased ah. the actress up a ladder ah. where she was pulled down <laughs> and pulled to safety by an electrician. So it's like, um, wow. that's kind of. <laughs> Out, out of the ordinary. Yeah, that's an OSHA violation. Bear, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, how would the bear escape from the trainer? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, it justifies that she had a, a healthy fear of being scared. Agreed. But yeah, um, it just, it really was surprising that, you know, like Lon Chaney, he was able to scare her quite a bit. And, uh, but even, even with um, Lon Chaney, like in the one scene where he's uh, fighting off the wolf, mm-hmm. it's actually his own German shepherd. Oh, that makes sense. And um, it was, I, I don't know, I still don't know how they filmed that. Because it's like maybe yeah. he knew his dog really well, yeah. but he was he knew it well enough to be able to not hurt the dog. Yeah, yeah. And that's that what was, I was thinking. If I recall, it's kind of um, obscured by some trees and bushes and stuff in the foreground, and they're kind of doing it in the background. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't actually ever see, you know, his cane, his silver-headed wolf's head cane, no, no. hitting the dog or hitting mm-hmm. anybody. But um, yeah, that is that. I watched it again recently, and I I noticed that 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 must have been really tricky to film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, now, what do you know about uh, Claude Rains? Claude Rains. He's one of my favorite actors. He has a great voice. Um, he was the Invisible Man. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, so this movie is after the Invisible Man, but it was before Casablanca and Notorious and all that stuff. So he did a lot of, you know, this kind of movie. 
uh, earlier in his career, and then he became much more famous, much more popular as a notorious, you know, with Hitchcock, and uh, mm-hmm. was just always an awesome actor. Um, he's he's one of my favorites, and I just think he has a great, great voice. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was interesting that so when we think of Lon Chaney Sr., mm-hmm. um, he was the Phantom of the Opera. Yes, he was. That's right. And that's how he became so famous, uh, by being able to portray that. Mm -hmm. Now, Claude Rains, uh, he portrayed the Phantom in the 1943 remake. So it was just two years later, and they're like, you would make a really good Phantom. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. I mean, it was a good movie. I like that movie, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very well done, and it's yeah. it's much different from the uh, complete uh, silent film oh, yeah. that yeah. Uh, the original Phantom of the Opera was. So I yeah. I thought that was just really really well done. Me too. Now um, you had some interesting tidbits <laughs> on some more of these actors. I didn't I didn't have much notes in regard to a lot of the characters, mm-hmm. um, but. You've really delved deep on some of these actors. Do you want to tell me a, a few little tidbits about some of these people? Uh, sure. So Ralph Bellamy is in this movie. So this is kind of funny. You know, the question is, <laughs> this is supposed to be set in England, in Wales, I think. Mm-hmm. And there are so many American accents. So they explain yeah. Larry Talbot's American accent. By, oh, well, he lived in America. Across the sea, yeah. Okay, all right. And But, you know, Evelyn Anchors, she has an American accent, and her father has a British accent. Yeah. And Ralph Bellamy's an American actor, and he's the cop. He's, you know, in charge, the head policeman of the town. How mm-hmm. are these people, you know, and it's just funny because there are some uh, actors with British accents, Claude Rains, mm-hmm. um, the doctor, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's just funny that Ralph Bellamy uh, who's so American. Um, but <laughs> Ralph Bellamy was in a lot of these movies. He was in Ghost of Frankenstein. And yep. uh, he always played, you know, these men of action. And he plays now, one he here. Was, he was the uh, investigator, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Right. Okay. He's the main right. cop. Yeah. Yep. And we also have in this movie Patrick Knowles. And people that know the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movie mm-hmm. um, will know him as Will Scarlet. And okay. I thought he was, he was really good. And he was also in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which, which is the sequel uh, to mm-hmm. this movie. And he plays the actual mad scientist. He doesn't play him as a mad scientist, but he gets sucked in Okay. Uh, <laughs> to, you know, he just can't help himself. He's got to bring the monster back to life. <laughs> um, and he, he does a very good job in that movie. Uh, okay. He's a really good actor and <clears throat> he gets a better, a little bit better part here. You know, there's this kind of, character in these movies the fiance let's say right mm-hmm. and in dracula they had David yes Mann, right yeah and and they're handsome but a little boring and they they get terrible parts right they they yes. don't make their characters don't do anything logical they're their just, scenery they are and they are just there to move the plot forward so mm-hmm. whatever they have to think at a given moment they think whether it makes <laughs> any sense to like the character arc at all he has no character arc you know yeah yeah so um he does he gets a little bit more to do than david manners did mm-hmm. um but you know it's a similar character in these movies 
Well, there's okay. So I gotta I gotta stop you for a minute. <laughs> Going back to Evelyn Anchors, yeah. there's a point in the film where the the older lady, uh, the older well, I'm gonna say this, and okay. it is merely for the point for referring to characters in the yes. film. Uh, she portrayed a gypsy. That is a term that we don't use anymore. Sure. Um, and I'm not going to refer to it anymore. However, mm -hmm. this older woman, mm -hmm. she goes and she's looking for the wolf man. Mm -hmm. And then Evelyn anchors. She's like, come with me. Come with me. And Evelyn anchors. I'm like, no, I must <laughs> find my wolf man. Yeah. No, I must find Larry. <laughs> and she goes wandering <laughs> off. She goes wandering <laughs> off into the oh, night. And it's man. like, would any woman no. in her right mind do that? No. no. But, you know, it it, <laughs> yeah. it made me physically laugh. I know. Because it was so ridiculous. I was like, that's not right. That's not what would happen. But no. we need her to be on the moors so she yes. could be attacked by the wolf man. Yeah. And, you know, we can keep, keep the plot moving, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we have both mentioned Bela Lugosi in yeah. this film. Um, one of the interesting things about Bela Lugosi for this movie uh, was he was the first one to see the signet. Hmm. Oh, um, that's right. That's right. Because he saw it on the woman's hand. And Jenny's hand. And, and, and when you see him, he wipes at his forehead and yeah. he's got it on him. Yep. Because he was the Wolfman prior. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. What, what can you tell me more about Bela Lugosi? Well, you know, this isn't a big part in this movie. But, mm -hmm. I, I mean, Bela Lugosi is one of my absolute favorite actors of all time. Um, he's He does, for what he's given to do here, he does an excellent job. At, obviously, Dracula, he was awesome. And mm -hmm. in a lot of people think his character of Igor uh, from uh, Son of Frankenstein. Oh, OK. Yeah, right. Son of Frankenstein. He, he plays Igor and he is just unsettling. He is mm -hmm. so good and so creepy. Um, a lot of people think that's his greatest role and it's pretty darn good. Uh, he fell on hard times in his career. He didn't have the career that Boris Karloff had. And mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know whether he did, but, you know, the, the theory is, is that he was offered Frankenstein and he should have taken it, but he didn't. And he regretted it. I don't know if that's true or not. But mm. um, he, you know, started doing lower grade pictures, having... You know, not such great parts. Sometimes he would just play the butler who would walk in. You know, <laughs> he was an older guy, and he would have a couple yeah. of lines, and they just wanted to get the words Bill Lugosi on the on the poster. Mm -hmm. um, and Which that's is good. good. It's good for sales, maybe. Yeah, but not yeah. good for him because no. he probably wanted to do more. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. an actor, so yeah. now the woman named Maria. Hmm? I, I still can't get her name right. Openskaya. Um, Openskaya. <laughs> uh, what has she been known for besides the Wolfman? 
Yeah, I mean, she played Mal- uh, Maliva in a lot of these movies. So she was okay. in the sequel to this. Um, she was actually quite a an accomplished actor, character actor back in in those days. But this is what she's remembered for, as far as I know. Mm, okay, all right. She's a that, that's... she's a great actor. I mean, it, it, the scene towards the end where Sir John, you know, Claude Rains is you know, out on the moors, they're hunting the werewolf, the werewolf, and uh, they run into each other. And she is, you know, acting toe to toe with him and, um, you know, almost taunting him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's saying that he doesn't believe this, this nonsense about wolfmen and werewolves. And, and she's saying, but where are you going, Sir John? Are you going <laughs> back to see your son? Are you worried about him? You know, yeah. she's taunting him. And, and uh, it's, it's just a little, you know, one minute, uh, interaction and it's mm-hmm. so strong she's really really good in this yeah she portrays that character really well and then she gives foreshadowing like yes. a bunch of foreshadowing to uh what's going to happen to larry like even before he becomes the wolfman she yeah. gives foreshadowing to him yeah um and it's really interesting how that how her character is really developed yeah. in the film i i love that that's really good. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the background on this. And one of the things I want to quote from now this was from an interview that had been done regarding the Wolfman, and I'm going to quote this. Um, and I think it's just it's kind of some some perfect statements regarding the film. Um, The Wolfman revived Universal's reputation as Hollywood's premier source for monster movies. As Joe Dante points out in an interview included in the two-disc special edition uh, uh, of The Wolfman, werewolves have a more immediate residence than other monsters. They're the monsters we might become even those of us with pure hearts who say our prayers at night. Mm -hmm. It was also the right horror movie for the moment. This movie came in 1941, and it was uh, born in the shadow of the overwhelming evil of Nazi Germany Mm. and anticipating the many normal guy descending into darkness film noir stories on the horizon. Now, one more section I want to quote from it said to work as well as it might the film needs an actor capable of conveying what it feels like to be in the grips of evil compulsions with lon cheney jr whose lumbering pokey childishly earnest work breaks the mood of the piece whenever he opens his mouth fortunately he's eventually gets lost behind jack pierce's masterful makeup and the image of a befanged hirsute Cheney slavering like a beast while wearing trousers and a button-down shirt carries a warning that needs no dialogue. Evil doesn't go away if we ignore it. It just hides beneath modern clothes. Really Isn't true. that unique? Yeah, really uh, true. I mean, it, 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 it boils down the essence of what it could be like it, it's, it's somewhat kind of a um, allegory in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though, you know, we, we physically see a 
Wolfman on screen. But uh, there are people out there, like you think of other films, such as like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. That is a study in um, being able to see the evil within or see uh, some people's alternate nature uh, for what they could be deep down it's true and i just i just found it interesting yeah you know it referred to that way in dr jekyll and mr hyde you know dr jekyll though chooses this right Mm -hmm. he chooses to go down this path um in frankenstein you know that's just he 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 just the the monster just gets screwed together you know bolted together nobody Mm -hmm. really you don't really you can appreciate the monster and identify with the monster, but it's not really a, a, a warning. The monster himself isn't a warning. In this movie, The Wolfman, this could happen to you. Something that you don't intend to happen could happen and it could change your life forever. I don't, mm-hmm. think, I don't think that Larry Talbot is the greatest guy. I mean, he's got this telescope that he's looking in his dad's yeah. observatory and he's peeking through girls' windows. That's not really <laughs> no, great. No, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's really a, a, a sleazy thing to do. Uh-huh. Uh, so he has this in his, you know, he's got this, mm, you know, inappropriate thing in his soul. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't deserve this. Mm-mm. And I think it's, you know, you don't, you don't identify yourself as Dracula, per se, Mm -mm. not, you know, Bella, you know, maybe you don't want to go to bed at night, right? As a kid, right? That was the cool thing about vampires. You can be up all night, (laughs) (laughs) but as a werewolf, this is a terrifying thing to happen to you. This is not fun. This is not cool at all. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. And like, ultimately I thought it was interesting that in my notes, I found a point where the Wolfman was never actually, to appear on screen um they actually were going against it but but then ultimately he did appear Mm -hmm. he got a literal transformation because they were trying to keep it ambiguous you know maybe it is psychological yeah exactly like the the psychologist was actually saying maybe this is all in his mind yeah and it's like no it was a physical transformation and i think that made the film stand out more because people wanted to see the wolfman you know they wanted to see uh the transformation or something similar to it yep Yep. and uh i just i found that really really interesting and then also okay so this quote that's in the movie oh my goodness it was like beaten into our brains yep three times yeah (laughs) <laughs> Even a man who is pure at heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. And it was yep. like a poem, but it was recited and recited and recited and recited. Everybody knew it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how does everybody know this one poem? Everybody um, knows about werewolves. Yeah. It's like everybody knows. <laughs> and it's like, he had some the writer had just made it up yeah but that rhyme was recited throughout that and then even quoted in which is amazing that in a way it's actually kind of an homage 
to these classic universal horror movies with Van Helsing in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, adjusted to be the uh, moon is shining bright rather the, than the autumn moon is bright. Oh, yeah. You got to have this year round. Autumn moon yep. just keeps it in the fall. We can't have yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> we have a sequel to deal with. Yeah, yeah exactly. That whole Wolfman legend was created by the writer um, Sjodemak. And, mm-hmm. you know, the silver and the, um, you know, the, the, the full moon and, you know, all of these, you know, the pentagram, all this stuff was just invented by the writer. It's really mm-hmm. a work of creativity on his part. Yeah. And, and with this one movie, it created a whole genre totally. of monster movies that you know were spawned to different things like the american werewolf in in london or the american like they did one that was more modern called the american werewolf in paris right i've seen that yeah yeah and um they've done like multiple like they did the underworld films that was in regard to vampires versus werewolves and you know it's like it's uh the lycanthropy you know it i mean that is an actual definition of you know what that means um uh but uh it was just a really interesting thing that you know he was able to start this whole subculture yeah of people being interested in what the wolfman was (laughs) And uh, I thought it was just really interesting. And it's interesting also that this, that the, the cane that mm-hmm. we talk about, the silver wolf-headed cane, is the only surviving prop from the movie. Wow. That's cool. And I'm not sure, well, someone in Maryland is, has, had collected it and they still have it. But okay. I don't know. Well, we, we, can do, <laughs> we can do a Kickstarter. There we go. There we go. <laughs> We can we can do a mold, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's just uh, I I I just found that it's really interesting. Just this whole idea that it was all invented, mm-hmm. like okay. yeah. the whole Wolfman uh, folklore, I guess. Yeah. Um, and how even as John Tobit, uh, for some reason, at one point. Larry wasn't actually related to John. He was an American engineer come oh. to fix John's telescope. Right. And he ends yeah. up getting trapped in that werewolf curse, which also would have made sense, but it sure. also wouldn't make sense because, you know, someone's got to care for this man. Yeah. You know, someone's got to have feelings for him and it gives it a more grounded viewpoint. Um, yeah. because he, if he's just an average Joe person that just comes, Oh, I'm going to fix your telescope. It's like, well, it's no connection. yeah, there's no yeah. connection with the character. Yeah. And, um, the way I they did it here was really powerful because he's returning after apparently they, you know, he and his father didn't get along and he had this older brother who was the heir and who was going to take over the family, you know, um, mansion and all of that. And the older brother died in a hunting accident and Larry comes back 
And so there's a little bit of, you know, he's a little resentful towards his father, but he really mm-hmm. wants it to work out. You know, he's 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 trying to be a good guy. He's trying to do the right thing. And his father doesn't, you know, has always thought a little bit less of him. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of tradition they have in this um you know, between them. And, you know, so he's coming and he can fix things and twiddle with things, but he's not a, a, a brilliant guy. And mm-hmm. I think he feels a little inferior to his brother. And like, he's kind of a fake, you know, a little <laughs> bit. And yeah. I think that underlying bit of, you know, insecurity really, really works in this movie. It's this underscore of the character that they kind of are on the edge, you know, they're, they're unsure about where they stand in the world. And, you know, turns out he turns into a wolf man. That's where he stands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting with talking about that lore, yeah. um, with the canon of the wolf man, uh, being, or the werewolf, uh, being vulnerable to silver mm-hmm. and that it's repeated through, Horror aficionados, including John Landis, mm. um, who's been known for several things. And uh, Silver, according to the legend, was first used to slay a werewolf in The Beast of Gavadian, dating oh, okay. from the late 19th century. And novels recounting the legend appeared in the 1930s mm. and featured the slaying of the werewolf with the silver bullet. Mm. And the werewolf, though, or the Wolfman, however, is the first to utilize like the silver bullet myth on screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I found that interesting because there's been numerous, you know, you've got you've got books, you've got whole subcultures of people talking about werewolves in their novels and mm-hmm. uh, vampires. And, you know, it's a whole um, urban fantasy, I guess. Mm. Uh, so to speak, because, you know, that's become a thing um, like Carrie, Carrie Vaughn, which I highly praise. And I hope someday she may listen to this episode or maybe I'll tag her and <laughs> have her listen to it because she did 14 books regarding a uh, female werewolf. Oh, and it's uh, her name is the, the lady's name is Kitty. And um, it's a whole series of werewolf books. Okay. Um, and uh, it's even battles between werewolves and battles oh. with vampires and stuff like that. And, but uh, she, I mean, she started some of that. And like, that became a whole subculture, you know, oh. that urban fantasy uh, type revolving around, you know, the werewolves and uh she probably did her research by leaps and bounds to go back and mm-hmm. look at these early folklore legends of the werewolves and stuff and yeah. kind of get ideas, you know. And, uh, you know, we were referring to uh, Jack Pierce's uh, makeup mm-hmm. that he used. And I really thought that was kind of cool. Uh, mm-hmm. They used a rubber nose, of course, <laughs> they would have to. Yeah. And then they used yak hair. Wow. And it was singed with curling irons. And then it was attached to his face, arm, and legs with spirit gum. I'm not sure what spirit gum is. And that's weird. But, you know, (laughs) 
It's interesting. <laughs> it is. One, just like a couple of strands at a time. No wonder it took so long. Maybe, yeah. Because uh, I would imagine that just, oh, man. I would I still not like can't that. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, and, you know, and then we talk, when we think about the, the, the when we see the transformation on screen, mm-hmm. um, the transformation is like six lapses for a dissolve. Mm-hmm. And then the second transformation, there's like 11 shots mm-hmm. of feet only. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not even the full face, it's just the feet. And then the third is 17 yep. face shots with oh. a continuous dissolve, which is pretty cool the way they did yeah. that because they had to blend that film together. Like basically like taking taking all these snapshots and you know what they do now you know you can you can have that done in a blend easily you know it's done within seconds but Mm -hmm. uh they had to take that time to create each panel each frame to uh like take a picture okay Mm -hmm. now let's take the next picture and (laughs) progressive it's kind of like uh you know clay animation you know, they had to. Oh yeah, that's true. They had to do that animated way of projecting a person or a character or an animal or whatever. But with this, it was through imagery, and I thought that was really unique. Yeah. Uh, one of the very few films that originally like started. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Love it. And uh, another thing that I found good is it had the working title of Destiny. Huh. Really? Um, Because it was a preliminary title given to even a number of Universal films Hmm. that include even Son of Dracula, which would have been made it an interesting way of looking at it. Say Destiny Wolfman. Destiny, Dracula, you know, something yeah. like that. It would have been like, okay, so was this his destiny to be the Wolfman? Or, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to go back and look at Son of Dracula. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think of, you know, like some of the background on the film? Do you have any any thoughts on some of these older points on some of the characters or on some of the sets. Um, I've always, I mean, one thing I didn't really get a chance to look up too much was how the sets were. Were they actually on a soundstage or did they do some of this on location? Well, my favorite set is the more, you know, the foggy more, I think. And and that was set up on a soundstage. And Mm -hmm. I think I read that it was one of the biggest soundstages that Universal had put together up to that time. I mean, it's so creepy and there's, you know, bent and funny angled trees and bushes Mm -hmm. and and little hillocks you know tiny little hills and it really feels like a real place especially with all the fog drifting around it's Mm -hmm. really really creepy um that's uh, i I just love that scene and whenever i think you know we're gonna when we talk about some of these uh cues you know i just think of you know the the wolfman kind of crouched over walking through this foggy set and it's Mm -hmm. just so powerful to me 
Yeah, and so let's let's get into some of that um, sure. because we have uh, some really interesting points regarding the score. Mm. Um, and this score was not only worked on by Salt- Salter and Skinner, mm-hmm. um, which those are the two composers that put together that you you think of on the uh, CD uh, that's regarding mo- movie monsters. Oh, yeah. um, and it's part of a six disc set mm-hmm. of different film monsters like Dracula and Son of Frankenstein and uh, these other ones. Um, the ones that w- we have music from is from Son of Frankenstein, Invisible Man, and The Wolfman are all included on the same disc. But it was also Charles Previn, uh, whose whose uncle was Andre Previn. And Andre Previn, oh, he was really astounding for film music. Um, And not only film music, but just concert music. Uh, He was really known for that. And uh, from previous listenings to other soundtrack things uh, i've noticed that uh, people like max steiner um corn mm-hmm. gold um i can't think of his first name but those famous uh composers got some of their invl- influences from uh andre previn uh, so and previn composed the Wolfbane track and helped mm. with the main title as well as the kill uh, cues. Now there's a point with the main title. To me, it opens up with three notes regarding mm-hmm. the Wolfman. Um, and it follows through on similar other pictures like uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that main title sums up a few cues, kind of like an overture, uh, yeah. when we think of even like pictures like Gone with the Wind or Casablanca, uh, things like that. You get that overarching uh, theme throughout the, the opening credits. Mm-hmm. And usually they do all their credits at the beginning. And then at the end, it's just the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was presented that way. But what I also found is it also gives us a prelude into a four note motif known as the doom and gloom uh, motif. It's like a light motif that's mm-hmm. used frequently and it's been used throughout the history of film music and mm-hmm. it's called DS Array. And it's used in multiple movies and it's presented when death is on the horizon or Mm. gloom or doom being presented. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. And that's like the four note carrying Mm -hmm. theme for that. Uh, It's also used as foreshadowing as to what will happen. Um, And I really found that unique uh, because like, even with the main title you know you have your opening chords they're all brass somewhat mm-hmm. loud but very uh tonal in nature they're not 
they're not over powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I found that myself when I was listening to the score that it's not like, Oh, that's super loud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's normal. Um, and it makes it sound normal. Um, the, the funny, you know, the opening of this, especially the main characters are shown, you know, it's not just the credit list where we see, you know, just the names of the actors and the characters. The, this is shown, you know, they show the actual actor acting mm-hmm. like silently, you know, with the music. And then they say, you know, so and so Claude Rains is Sir John. And the music that is tied to to that those sequences is very interesting, and it's it's something that's repeated through this whole movie. Is you know we go through these these cues that these songs they change really fast, mm-hmm. really quickly. So there's like this strain, and all of a sudden we get light and happy music. Oh well, that's because in <laughs> the movie they yep. cut to see Gwen. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody has a theme and the things that happen have themes. And it's all you mentioned that this is like an overture. This is where mm-hmm. all of the music gets introduced or not all of it, but a lot of it. And we hear a lot of this repeated throughout the whole movie at appropriate times. And sometimes it's even, you know, in this one, when they show Larry, you know, um, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman, it's they give him kind of the the Gwen music with like little birds tweeting almost. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very strange approach. And I think, you know, they're setting him up at the beginning as he's just this good guy. And what a, <laughs> what a fine gentleman. Yeah. And if things go south <laughs> for the poor guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. uh, it, it's just a, it's, it gives us pre previews in a way, uh, mm-hmm. to what the music is going to be, yes. um, for the whole film. And then the next cue that we can discuss is the telescope. Now, this one, as we brought out before, uh, Larry's not a completely upright guy. Yeah. Because he's just looking through the telescope and he's basically being a peeping Tom. Yeah. Um, but I found it interesting because it gives us a slight hero theme in a way. Mm-hmm. Um because of that just mean, uh, like innocence, like there's almost an innocence there. But, but then it immediately switches to Gwen's love theme. Yeah. And we can use it as Gwen's theme because that's what it is. It's, it's like light and almost like watery. I I know that sounds weird to say, but it's very airy and, uh, almost like you're swimming through clouds. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of an interesting cue because it starts out, you know, Larry in the movie, he's tinkering with the, uh, telescope and he's looking around and this kind of like a little bit of, you know, he's work, he's doing things. And then he's looking through the town and he sees things in the town and the music is kind of floaty. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like there's different instruments have different time signatures that they're, you know, this, this very, you know, beat, 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 and then other music that's, that's off kilter. Mm -hmm. And it's just him kind of trying to focus the telescope, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing. And then he sees Gwen and it's, and we get, you know, I always call this the pretty lady music (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, here she is. And, and then he goes down and then the um, telescope looks down and sees where she is and it's this antique shop and mm-hmm. you know she lives with her father in their antique shop and 
Well, doesn't he go and visit them? I wonder why. <laughs> exactly, right? The thing about that theme is you really kind of, it, it, it doesn't browbeat you with that theme, but the, that's one thing I really like about Gwen's theme is that it's a very, you definitely get the idea that it's a romantic theme. Yes. And that's what I like about it. And then um, going into Wolfbane, Mm -hmm. uh, this theme has a meandering tone to Mm -hmm. it, to me. Mm -hmm. Like it it just, it, it, it's like, da, 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 you know, it's like you're walking along with the person and like you're, you're hearing their own theme music Mm -hmm. walk along. Um, They did this countless times in looney tunes cartoons you know they would they would meander the music yeah Uh, it would it would follow that person and then the trio go to see the fortune teller and they're all light and happy and you know Mm -hmm. it it then gets like the sad violin that mixes in with this mysterious background and everything's foggy by that point and it's getting near dark and it's with these traveling people and they're just sitting there and you don't hear the motif for the wolf quite yet, but uh, you get the introduction with a subtleness with Bella's character Mm -hmm. um, introduced. And then if you're really listening carefully, you get the DS array and it's repeated, repeated quickly throughout this queue. Um, It's, really fast really quick but you're getting it because it's going down 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 you know and it's like frequently like really fast because it's like it wants to give you this hint that this is what's going to happen and you get bella's theme which is purely with uh this violin and it builds even to the conclusion and then it switches notes again to be mm-hmm. Gwen's theme. Yeah. And it's right before this this tragic moment of the Wolfman motif. So yeah. I, I found that really unique and that it, it it for the most part is one that Universal got a lot of mileage from. Uh, because they've been they've been able to use it through other films. Yeah. I, I think this is a really interesting um, piece because it, it it starts slowly right there. It's La, uh, Larry and um, Gwen and Jenny, uh, Gwen's mm-hmm. friend, are going to have their fortune told. And they're walking through the woods and they see this wolf bane and they say the, you know, uh, they the give poem. The, the poem. <laughs> and this I think this is the second time we get the poem. Yeah. And then they go and Jenny goes to get her fortune told and Lon and Evelyn are out and, you know, getting ready to to smooch or, you know, have a little romantic moment. Mm -hmm. And it cuts back and forth. The music is very specific as to whether, you know, it's Jenny with Bella and there's an arc to that scene Mm -hmm. and it's intercut with um, Larry um, getting closer and closer to Gwen. And so the mm-hmm. music changes and it's almost know, chaotic. It is. It really is. 
And uh, but it's it's really powerful and it's really shows how integrated this score is with the you know, what's happening at that very moment on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really delves deeper with the kill uh, yes. because like you get this major chaotic moment in yeah. the score um, it's where you get the actual death music yes. the DS array really is bl- it's like blaring in yeah. your mind and your heart and you get that chaos and then it immediately switches like it's really brilliant how Salter does this that he switches on a dime to Gwen's theme yeah. right right at the moment where uh, Larry's been uh, scratched. And yeah. it, it. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, he gets so it's the kill. This is this is classic. This is one mm-hmm. of my favorite cues in in this movie and in all movies. Um, you know, it's just classic universal monster movie music it has urgency you know it feels scary it's got spookiness so it's not just action like a war movie it's this eerie action Mm -hmm. and you know larry's going to and he hears jenny scream he goes to investigate and then he has the fight with the wolf you know and Mm -hmm. it's that that super action music and then you know he strikes boom with the with his uh cane boom Mm -hmm. boom and then there's you know he's been bit and there's this music after the kill. It kind of quiets, goes sad and dramatic. And, you know, in my new notes I have, this is music to stagger by. <laughs> right? He yeah. just kind of falls. And then we see Gwen and she gives, you know, we get, like you mentioned, we get the Gwen music and she's, Larry, oh no, Larry. <laughs> and she goes running across this yep. moor to go and help him. And yep. it's just so beautifully integrated with the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, of course, when they go to investigate, we see that the, the music switches again to a classic mystery in a way yeah, yeah. It, uh, because of Bella's funeral. Oh, and right, it, right. it gives you some foreshadowing as to what's happening to Larry. Mm-hmm. And I like how it has the clarinet. Uh, it's yeah. really highlighted in this cue. Um, and the strings, the violins really enhance that feeling of dread. Uh, and because Larry's in the background, he's, you know, he's hiding out, but it is actually a very dark and scary cue with the references to the Wolfman theme. And Mm -hmm. I just, I found it really unique. Yeah. So did I, I mean, it's got, you know, he's Larry feels bad. Everybody has told him that he's killed Bela. And the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I killed a wolf. And everybody's saying, no, man, there's no dead wolf, but there is a, a dead there's fortune a dead teller. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so you must have killed him. And then he, you know, no, see, the wolf bit me and he has no scar. And, yeah. But his clothes were all bloody. So he's feeling like really upset that what has he done? And so it's sad and it's kind of, you know, sweeping. And mm-hmm. we get when we see, Maleva, right? So it, this is uh, Bela was her son, and mm-hmm. she's gonna come and say the the words, you know, uh, the way you walked was thorny through no fault of your own. That that um, you know poem that she she reads, mm-hmm. and it's we get that 
that fortune teller music, that Roma music um, behind, you know, with the violins, that plaintive violins. Um, it's, it's, you know, this woman saying goodbye to her son, but she's not, it's not a hundred percent a tragedy because she knows that Bela suffered with this werewolf werewolfery. Mm-hmm. And um, so she knows that his suffering is now ended. Um, but Larry is hiding in the background and observing this. So there's also this little bit of tension um, that the music shows that, you know, he doesn't want to get caught, but he's seeing this scene and she leaves and he's just really sad. And, and this is, you know, the, the music really reflects these kinds of internal uh, feelings of these characters. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um the next cue discusses that too because it's called desperation mm-hmm. and it's ominous it has mm-hmm. these chords to it that set the mood for this adiagio track mm-hmm. and as much as we think that this is like the first time we've heard this actual light motif um mm-hmm. it's not <laughs> Um, when we start to listen to it, it's like, hmm, this music sounds really familiar. Yes, it does, doesn't it? What is it? What could it be? (laughs) It's Batman. Yes, it is. Danny Elfman. (laughs) Yep. And, I mean, he probably borrowed from this, this film score to create the Batman theme. Yeah, it's really effective. Yeah, and... I found it interesting, too, because when you listen to this theme, if you really think about it, the the notes for DS Array is actually backwards. Oh. It's done in a reverse fashion. Interesting. Um, giving us that, that influence of, like, it's almost a chaotic piece uh, to think about uh, what has happened with Larry and and at this point in the movie, he's he's disgruntled. He's he's thinking that he's crazy. Yeah. Uh, because he's gone through this altercation and he's killed people, and yeah. he doesn't even know. He doesn't even remember. Yeah. That he did it. He's so. you know this is people are telling him he's crazy. He's like, no, I killed a wolf. No, you killed a man. Uh, and then Maleva is like, well, you're going to, you were bitten, right? Hmm. You're going to turn into a wolf. And now it's night and he's worried, right? That's desperation. Am mm-hmm. I going to turn into a wolf? And you can see he's going back and forth between worrying about it. Oh my gosh, it's coming. And then on the other hand, he said, Oh, it is ridiculous. It's so (laughs) silly. And the music goes along with that. And it just follows his going back and forth, whether he thinks it's ridiculous or whether he thinks he's about to get hairy. Um, you know, we, we get this thing where this time is ticking, you know, we get a tick, 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 right. And you feel like, Oh, something's coming time. We're getting closer. And then we get this music just before his transformation that I I call it the the Egyptian kind of music. It's really like Mm -hmm. mummy kind of music. It Mm -hmm. has kind of a, uh, a very, um, uh, kind of, uh, it's an unusual, uh, you know, piece of music just before he transforms and it's, and it gives a, a sense of eeriness and otherworldliness to it, um, right before he changes. It's really strong. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, and it, it's just, it's actually very brilliant it the really way is. it's done. 
Um, and then, of course, the, the final track that we can discuss is Sir John's Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, this piece actually feels like it's a sum up of the cues that we've already heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the overture is kind of being repeated because a lot of the themes are brought in. But it also gives us this subtle, mysterious tone. Yeah. Uh, and when I was listening to it, I felt like I was hearing oboe in the background. Mm-hmm. And it gives us, of course, the, the sweeping strings that kind of give us the <laughs> the feeling that uh, in these universal horror movies, we get a lot of violin. Yeah. Um, but it opens with the wolf theme. Um, it has this little yearning from the previous track with more of the theme. And it builds to a climax because you get those blaring horns, the trombone. And mm-hmm. they really get a workout in this theme. Yeah. And we hear a repeat of the kill track. Yep. Yep. And then it aptly ends with Bella's theme because of the tragedy that strikes and it refers to the quiet version of the main theme uh going through some of these character themes throughout the entire piece of music that's encompassed in eight minutes of music yeah yeah this is you know this is towards the end of the movie right this is the the peak of the movie um the the climax uh sir john claude Rains has tied larry up to a chair right and he says yeah. well you know we're gonna settle this one way or the other you know and he <laughs> and he says all right but i have to go out and hunt the wolf and larry's like well you're not gonna stay with me he's like no you're you're fine you have to deal with this <laughs> what a jerk um, and, and we get you know uh, sir john goes out to see the hunting guys and he you know and he's left his son behind and you said i think what you said is co- is completely correct it's like the culmination of a lot of the work that the music has kind of prepared us for mm-hmm. um uh you know when larry's on the prowl we get the the wolf music um we get the fight between larry and his father and larry had get, said told his dad please take my silver-headed cane and he does and his father you know beats him to death with it and <laughs> doesn't know it's him right and uh, it's it's just we we get this music that we've seen we've heard already but now it's tied, it's used in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Malay, you know, Larry has now been, you know, killed and he's the wolf on the, on the ground. And then Maleva shows up and we get her music uh, mm-hmm. with the strings. And she gives her the, you know, the path you walk this thorny through no fault of your own. And Larry <laughs> transforms back to back. Larry yep. and in front of his father. And that's what Sir John's discovery means, right? I guess is mm-hmm. that he discovers that his son was right all the time and mm-hmm. he should have listened to him. Like, and, I'm not crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the locals, you know, uh, I think Ralph Bellamy, it is, I, who it is, that comes up and says, oh, Larry must have come down and tried to protect, uh, you know, Evelyn or Gwen from the wolf and it killed him. And his father mm-hmm. knows that that's a lie. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, Bellamy's character doesn't know any different. Um, no. And this music is just and, and the thing about this movie is when it's over. It ends. Yes, it just <laughs> ends. Like it there's just... no, no sum up, no 
nope. resolution as to what happens to Evelyn. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Nope. It just nothing. ends. The and it's like, end. <laughs> and I was, when I watched it, I was like, what? <laughs> that we have what just happened? Scene, you know, the, yeah, no. Nope. Larry's dead. His father realizes he was an idiot. And uh, <laughs> Evil and Anchors is like, oh, Larry, no. But is yeah. it, you know, so uh, it, that's it. That's all we need. We don't need any more movie. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. The story has been told. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so. So as uh, as we're going to go, act, we're actually going to play these cues. Um, I'd like to begin by playing the main theme, the telescope and Wolfbane. Are, do you have any thoughts regarding these uh, to kind of sum up uh, what we've talked about or just how well they work together? Um, you know, listen for repeated pieces repeated uh strains of music mm-hmm. and um and you know i can't help but when i listen to them picture what's happening in the movie and uh um it, it's just a very strong set of um set of cues mm-hmm. so now we'll play those <laughs>
Next, I'd like to play only two cues that include the kill and Bella's funeral. Um, for me, these really tie together really well. Mm. Um, you have the chaos of the kill, but then you get the sad uh, aftermath. It's almost like an aftermath as to what mm. has happened with Bella. Um, any thoughts on these two? I, I like how you put these together. I, I agree that the, the kill is some of the absolute best horror movie music ever. Um, and you're absolutely right. Bella's funeral afterwards is like this very sad aftermath of it. Um, these are really two, two good cues to listen to together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so we'll play those now.
Well, sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing the theme music uh, for my show. Um, lastly, today on the show, I'll play Desperation in the final cue of Sir John's Discovery. I really like how, you know, we discussed this cue, um, especially with Sir John's Discovery and things just slowly build and build until you have your final confrontation between the Wolfman and, well, Larry's father. Mm -hmm. Again, giving us the DSRA and giving us the greatest moment of the action music in a way. And it also includes such suspense that's in the score. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts on this, Jerry? I just like how desperation is. It's almost the backwards of what the kill and Bella's funeral desperation is now sad and anticipatory music and ultimately, you know, kind of creepy music. And then Sir John's discovery is now we go back to the action and mm -hmm. it, you know, peaks it back up for the climax of the film. Yeah. And it's truly really unique uh, the way it's, presented yeah. um jerry i've got to say it's been a real pleasure to yeah. have you on my show today um, thank you so much randy this has been a blast you're welcome you're so very welcome i i really had been for the longest time i've been wanting to do this <laughs> me too me too i'm glad we found we found a great movie to do it with exactly uh so where can people find you jerry Sure. Well, you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where I, with my pod partner, Chris, uh, we talk about new indie comics. That's a weekly show, and that drops on Wednesdays. We also have a show called Memory Minute Monday, where we talk about nostalgia uh, elements in our past, and Frenzy Peace Theater, where we recap and discuss classic comic book stories. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Professor Frenzy. I'm on YouTube, I, you know, anywhere, Spotify, anywhere you want to find me. You know, do a search for Professor Frenzy. There aren't too many of us out there. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Uh, you can find me at SoundtrackAlley.com. Email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. I'm on social media on Twitter and Instagram, both at SoundtrackAlley. Um, find the show through December on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. In January, all this changes to Mixcloud. Um, people will be notified of a change. I'll, I'll do a brief little um, blurb on all my social media stuff, and you can uh, follow me through Mixcloud from that point um, until maybe sometime in the future and I get a hosting site back. <laughs> but uh, one thing you can also do is find the score to uh, The Wolfman through Amazon. Uh, you can buy it there. Um, it's really actually pretty cheap to buy digitally. Um, it's about $8.99 on Amazon. On I don't know if you can get it on iTunes. Um, I, could, I don't think I could find it on uh itunes so uh, i'm not really sure have you been able to have any success with that jerry i found it on amazon music and okay All so right. that's where i got it yeah that's i mean that's where i got it as well so people can all have links in the show notes um for when uh you can find it and you can buy it so it's amazing you have to yes. listen to it <laughs> 
So to conclude the show, we'll play these last two cues of desperation and Sir John's discovery. And until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps Soundtrack Alley Spotlight get noticed. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com. Thank you.